Hi, folks, and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour number 114 with Buffalo and Billy and friends. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, August 1st, 2020. Brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh organic chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. That's SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, it also tastes very, very good. Issue number 38 of Kudzu Magazine is available now all over the internet. Um, You can also find it at KudzuMag.com. Now, we spell Kudzu K-U-D-Z-O-O. So, it's K-U-D-Z-O-O Mag, M-A-G, dot com. Issue number 38 uh, features a cover story interview with the great Jack Pearson, a great guitar player, great guitar player, and former member of the Allman Brothers Band. Uh, interview with Atlantic Records and Capricorn Records promotional man Dick Woolley. Some real good insight uh, on his career in uh, the recording industry. Man, it's a great interview. Also, Allman Brothers author Scott Freeman is interviewed. And an archived interview we did with Bonnie Bramlett from a few years ago. Um, Bonnie's always wonderful to talk to, always wonderful to hear, sing. We love Bonnie. Uh, What can I say? We love, love, love all the Bramlets. Bonnie, and we love Delaney, and we love uh, Becca, and all the Bramlett girls. Man, yeah. Yes, sir. Also, we have... uh, Unreleased albums spotlighted. Unreleased works by the Almonds and also Sea Level. Uh, timely article on the COVID-19 mask issue. And also a very timely article on racism and the police. Uh, you really need to read that one. Anthony uh, did a great job on that. Also the usual reviews of music, books, DVDs, and much more. Kudzumag.com, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G.com. Check it out. Check it out. Well, we're going to have a great discussion today with our uh, our guest, our panel, and uh, we will be doing that shortly, but we're going to open up with a tune, okay? And uh, I'm going to, it's going to be the Boxmasters, uh, one of my favorite bands, the Boxmasters, and they've got a new album coming out almost immediately Uh, it's called light rays it's the best album the guys have ever done and uh, we're going to play the uh first single from it it's called breathe easy which is my theme song baby after all the stuff i went through this year with breathing issues breathe easy is (laughs) as uh and it's also something that uh, we all need to do more of uh in these troubled times is to just you know just breathe you just breathe take a breath billy bob and the guys they know what's going on uh and uh they put it in the songs baby all right we're gonna do the box masters and we'll be back with everybody y'all stay tuned 
And matter of fact, uh, while the song's playing, call up some friends and tell them to <laughs> tell them to click on the link and listen in too. The more, the merrier. We can make it a party, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Here they go. Hi, this is Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> this is J.D. Andrew. And it's Teddy Zigzag, and we're the Boxmasters. You're listening to the Kudzu Radio Hour, the only radio show where you can hear the Marshall Tucker Band or Willie Nelson one minute. And the Boxmasters the next. And then maybe Frank Zappa, or then maybe Freebird. Or <laughs> and J.D., you didn't sound like you were reading that at all. Hey, Michael Buffalo Smith. Hey, Michael Buffalo Smith. Uh, hey, Michael Buffalo Smith. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Hey, Bubba. There you go, man. We did our best. <laughs> featuring that really happening lead singer Bud Thornton, also known as Billy Bob Thornton, 
And uh, that song is called uh, Breathe Easy. That's my new theme song, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Breathe Easy from the brand new album that's coming out called Light Rays. And man, oh man, it's the best album them guys have ever done. I mean, it sounds so much like Jingle Jangle 60s Birds, Dave Clark 5, that kind of stuff. I just love it, love it, love it, love it. So that's the Boxmasters. I want to uh, welcome to the show, first of all, first of all, my partner in crime from a long time now, for a long time ago, it goes way back, way back to the days before coronavirus. A man who once hitchhiked across four states just to avoid the Taylor Swift concert that was coming to town. Billy Eli, here he is. Hey, Bob, how you doing today? Doing good, man. And also, we welcome back two men from Austin, Texas. Two guys who agreed that their fantasy concert would be a co-headliner of the New York Dolls and Ray Wally Hubbard. (laughs) Hey, I got my Pretty good. Patrick Beach (laughs) and Jim Hemphill. Here they are, folks, live and in color, in living color. There check you out, go. check out. Yes, right. And uh, every time I dolls. say Jim Hemphill, I want to, you know, it, I can't reference it because nobody would get it but me. But there was a, when I was a gospel DJ years ago, there was a southern gospel group called the Hemphills. Sure. One of the best, one of the best. So good. And I had them on uh, in the studio at the radio station and everything. And every time I think about Jim, I think, I wonder if he's related to the Hemphills, uh, but you know, there you go. It's one of the kind of well, He didn't get he didn't get the singing gene, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I, man, I'm not going to say that. He's been a pretty reliable backup singer for 22 years. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. I'll let my recorded work speak for itself. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, right. Your your the the body of your the body right my body of work. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, it's not one. That's not one thing, man. Uh, it's, it's not. It's, it's your it, entire it, body of work. The um, it's his. It's his oeuvre. <laughs> I keep. I keep meaning to say this on the on the podcast, so I'm going to say it. Uh, podcast. This podcast is available. Tell everybody. It's available not only on Spotify, and not only at the website of Anchor, uh, Anchor.com, but also on Apple iTunes. Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and that's just a few of them. So we're everywhere, everywhere, folks. I wanted to throw down just a minute on a little bit of news. Uh, these are things that I've been intending to do. I get so excited when I get these guys all together that I, I just don't, I don't, I don't think straight. So I'm trying to do that before we get into it. Just a couple of little news items couple of little news items because i have quite a few southern rockers that follow me quite a few quite a few thousand (laughs) and i want to say uh there's a 700 square foot hyper realistic almond brothers themed mural that has been painted in downtown macon celebrating southern rock the mural features Dwayne and greg almond and phil walden and I've seen pictures. It's unbelievable. It's like a photograph. And it's painted on the wall located in the alley between the lofts at Capricorn and the newly renovated Capricorn Sound Studios 
uh, now known as Mercer Music. Hey, Capricorn. Graffiti and mural, uh, graffiti and mural artist Jex, Jex from Greensboro, North Carolina, painted the mural. He also had recently completed the uh, Little Richard uh, mural at the Society Gardens. That's really cool. Um, the other piece, one more little piece of news: the uh, Charlie Daniels Volunteer Jam that was scheduled for twenty. 21 February 22nd is still on um, gonna it's going to be a salute to Charlie right, right. Uh, at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville volunteer jam that Charlie started back in 1974 <clears throat> will pay tribute to the fiddle playing grand old Opry member uh, artist uh, all sorts of artists the uh, jam lineup includes the band Alabama Ricky Skaggs, CeCe Winans Old Crow Medicine Show, good old guy Junior Brown, love Junior Brown, Junior Brown, Marsh Tucker Band, Marshall Tucker Band, uh, I won't name them all, Charlie Pride, let's see who else, uh, Gretchen Wilson, uh, da, 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 Delbert McClinton, Kebbo, <coughs> Outlaws 38 Special, the Almond Betts Band, which uh, I've got an interview with Dwayne Betts coming up next week, uh, Dickie's son, and the Almond Betts Band's doing really well. Also, Atlanta Rhythm Section, blah, 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 blah. Um, so many. Steel Drivers, Pure Prairie League. So that's coming up, folks. That's going to be a biggie, February 22nd, 2021. And by then, I'm sure we'll have a vaccine and a cure, and everybody will be happy and smiling and jumping for joy. Jumping for <laughs> joy. I'm very optimistic. Of course, I've always remained optimistic. Um, we're going to do our thing. We're going to do our thing, folks. For all you folks that are self-quarantined or otherwise just hanging out at home, we like to recommend a book, a movie, and a record just to keep you from being bored and keep you out of trouble. And today I want to shake up the order a little bit and get uh, Jim Hemphill to start with the book, movie, and record. Jim? Well, thank you, Buff. Uh, hope everyone's doing well today. So here's what I got. You said book, movie, record, so I'll take them in that order. My book is by an English writer named Nick Hornby, and the book is called Juliet, Naked. It's not about naked people or anyone named Juliet Bummer. Naked. It's yeah. really, I kind of thought about it because it's about fan, at least in part about fandom and about the internet and about scouring out rare stuff. Juliet Naked is a fictional set of acoustic demos by a fictional artist uh, that one of the main characters in the book gets a copy of and is obsessed over and it leads to all kinds of weird things. But Hornby is a great writer. Uh, it's a great, easy read and uh, it's a, you know, talks about what it's like to be a fan in the age of the internet and it's a cool book i didn't know until last night that there was actually a movie was made of the book so i haven't seen it can't recommend the movie but my movie is uh the movie version of another nick hornby book called high fidelity uh high fidelity with john cusack uh jack black just <laughs> it's also about being a music fan uh and it featured Jack Black is is the perfect snobbish record store. 
I mean, I could not conceive of, of any better portrayal of that. Uh, a I've couple known, years. I have known the people that that oh, character is. Every, everybody, I, everybody knows somebody like that. I, I, <laughs> and I kind of have been John Cusack at some point in my life. So that's the, the character, not the actual actor. A couple <laughs> years ago, uh, he went on the road, Cusack did, uh, showing the movie and then doing a, a Q&A after the movie. And he came here in Austin and did it. And it was just terrific, just a tremendous night. Uh, so that's my movie. For my album, I'm going to cheat a little bit and have companion albums. And uh, we were talking last week about songwriters. And uh, we talked a little bit about Elvis Costello. And I got to thinking about albums that that people uh, that are uncool or that got bad that got bad reviews, but I still think are worth listening to. So my record, uh, my first record is uh, Linda Ronstadt's Mad Love. Uh-huh. And the companion record is by a band called the Cretones, and the record is called Thin Red Line. And there's a reason there are companion records, because there are three of the same songs on both of those records. Mad Love was Linda Ronstadt's quote-unquote new wave album, where she did three Elvis Costello songs. She did three songs by this obscure L.A. band called the Cretones. They're actually the two main guys were from Poughkeepsie, New York, but they ended up in L.A. And... Uh, and she had a hit on that by written by Billy Steinberg called "How Do I Make You." Um, oh yeah, it's. I, I mean, remember that song? Yeah. Uh, to be truthful, I like Elvis Costello's versions of the Elvis Costello songs better, and I like the Cretones versions of the Cretones songs better. But Ron Ronstadt, I mean, there's no denying her voice. Yeah. Right? She's no. An incredible Absolutely. singer. Yeah. Amazing. And you, uh, you, just real quick, and and just so I can look this up later. You mentioned that, uh, How Do I Make You? I thought her, man, I thought everything about that tune was great. I remember when it came out as a single, my only complaint was that it felt like one of those real rush throw together arrangements. It didn't seem to have a start, a middle, or a stop. It was like, it was kind of like a glorified demo that they hadn't all the way arranged. It was just like, go, sing, sing, stop. It was, you know, it, it, it didn't flow real well. I, yeah, and I think part of that is kind of the, the arrangements that she was doing at the time. I think it's got like a snare roll intro and then she starts singing and everyone kind of yep. comes in and wants just boom. Yeah. And that's kind of how they did the arrangements. Um, it's, <coughs> and, you know, the players are great. And there's a couple of the, the, the Cretone songs are the title song, Mad Love. Then there's one called Cost of Love, which is probably my favorite on the record, and one called Justine. And there's a couple of videos that they did uh, to accompany that record. That were done kind of live in a in a looks like a warehouse uh, i think mad love and cost of love and uh mark goldenberg who was the front man and, and songwriter for the cretones uh has joined linda's band for those and he's playing guitar and so wadi Wachtel, who's a great guitar yeah. studio guitarist is was in linda's band at the time but goldenberg was playing second guitar but wadi wanted to be in the video i guess so he's singing background and Waddy is an odd-looking guy to begin with. <laughs> yes, he is. And yes, in, he these, is. in these videos, instead of playing guitar when he's not singing, there is a pole in this warehouse, and he starts grabbing the pole and dancing, and it is <laughs> one of the most train wreck disturbing things you have ever say, seen. Just your description of it I'm finding disturbing. It's Take, take take how disturbing the description is and like multiply it by ten. Oh it my gosh! Good. 
it's just awful. Why anyway, do you want to tell pole dancing? That just why did you oh, put that in my head, man? It's God. terrible. Yeah, Mark Goldenberg the, of the Cretones, uh, yeah, I think they were a, a, a really great polished LA power pop skinny tie type of band. And Thin Red Line is a is a really cool album. Uh, he and Goldenberg ended up being for several years Jackson Brown's lead guitarist after David Ridley left. So he's a good player too. So anyway. Uh, Lynn Ronstadt, Mad Love, Cretones, Thin Red Line. Uh, check it out. Sounds good, man. Beach! Well, I gotta thank Jim, first of all, because when my head hits the pillow tonight, I'm gonna be thinking about Waddy pole dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, God. Go, oh. on, go on YouTube. No, go on YouTube. No, yeah. actually watch no, it. And no, it's even, no, Yeah, no. you got it. It is. But after you, no, after you no. do that, uh, after you do that, after you watch that one, cut over to the video of Linda doing the song Get Closer in the red polka dress and swinging herself around and looking so cute and that'll get Waddy right out of your mind. Well, All right. and, and, and Linda that. looks great in these videos too, but good Lord. Ugh. I had to share that because I had to try to get out of my head. Meanwhile, um... <laughs> Meanwhile, these days, you know, it's all about it's all about comfort. It's finding uh, comfort however you can. We're wearing comfortable clothes. We're watching movies that we've seen 50 times before. We're eating comfort food. And, and I've got a comfort musical recommendation Drinking for you. Drinking comfort like Billy. We're drinking right, comfortable right, beer. Right, right, right. My musical recommendation is The Brooklyn Side by The Bottle Rockets, The Pride of Festus, Missouri. One of the oh, right. great bands, man. One, Love one, them. Of the, one of the best records of the 1990s. Welfare music and, uh, and uh, just a collection of a dozen or so songs. It, it would be a perfect, perfect record if it had their very best song, Indianapolis, on it, right. which, they actually, which they actually wrote... Uh, and recorded it as an acoustic demo uh, at the sessions for the first album, but that's not on it. But man, that's just a near perfect record. And thousand uh, dollar car, I saw an I saw an interview, and apparently it was a seven hundred and fifty dollar car that inspired the song. But he just rounded up. So uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Festus, Missouri, the the pride of Festus, Missouri. My uh, book recommendation, and Jim, I. To say I, I was never aware before we started doing this that you read so much fiction and a lot more fiction than I do. I do, oh, but, yeah. but uh, unsurprisingly, I have another nonfiction recommendation, and that is Ronan Farrow's Catch and Kill from last year about uh, Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement. The interesting thing about that book is, and I have to point out, I lent it to a friend of mine because I loved it, because it's just absolutely fearless reporting, and she just hated the way he wrote it because he slips into the passive voice a little too much. It drove her up the wall. But uh, but it's really, really fearless, and uh, you know he did a lot of good in his reporting. NBC does not come off terribly well because he had to march the story over from NBC to the New Yorker, and there working with david remnick the editor just shoulder by shoulder they got this story out and kind of changed the world and hastened a movement and the weird thing is reporters of course never like to be part of the story but he became part of the story because he was being actively spied on weinstein uh hired former mossad agents and these these shadowy guys from ukraine and yada 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 and it's not paranoid 
if you're like legitimately scared for your security and your safety just and, because you're paranoid doesn't mean somebody's not out yet. right 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 <laughs> yeah. so uh i admire his talent a great deal and he was a wonderkind even before he went into journalism i mean i think he started at yale where he did his undergrad before he even had his umbilical cord cut uh, he's, 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 <laughs> he has a good one like that. He's just he's just a just a monumental talent. So that's my book recommendation. I got a movie for you that I'm betting at least two of you have not even heard of, and that is uh, also from last year, The River and the Wall, a documentary film by Ben Masters. It is about the oh three. You haven't heard of it either, Jim? No, 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 no. It's a documentary film about the border and the border wall. Masters is perfectly suited to make a film like this because he's a photographer, a videographer. I think he might be a wildlife biologist. And he's also spent a lot of time on horseback. And him and four or five other people with various specialties in things take this 12 or 1300 mile journey from El Paso to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, traversing both sides of the border, talking about the border wall and whether it would be a good thing, talking about the wildlife there, talking about the people on both sides of the of the river, because, you know, we have been trading together uh, and breeding together for an excess of 500 years and what it would be like to have those cuts severed. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. Please, please don't watch it on your phone. Watch it on the biggest screen you can see it on. It's gorgeous, and of course, anybody, yeah, and anybody, anybody who's been to the Big Bend will tell you there is absolutely no physical way that a border wall can be built through there through the entirety right. of that. It's just a gorgeous film, and it's about it's about the environment and wildlife and cultures and intermingling cultures, and it's so much fun. You can rent it on iTunes or Amazon for like two ninety nine, and it'll be the best two ninety nine you spend. That's all I got. Wow. Wow. All right, man. That's cool. That's cool. That's, I had not heard that one. That's very interesting. Um, yeah. Dial it up. All I got to say right now is Eli's coming. <laughs> Billy Eli. Ooh, sure. Here we go, man. Oh, uh, okay. Mine's not a movie, man. Mine's a, uh, mine's a series. It's a BBC series. I've been watching on Acorn TV and it's eight or nine years old. It's some of the some of the British uh, drama and crime procedurals are are uh, I don't know I, I like them better they're less effects driven you know it's not a lot of running and shooting and exploding cars but I've been watching uh, Foil's War which is about a oh. uh, it's a it's about a uh, what is the detective inspector or I, I'm not sure how the British how they rank their cops but he's a detective and it's it's uh, set in World War Two. And he's trying to get into the. He tries to get into military service, and and they they won't uh, allow him to transfer. And uh, it's you know he's investigating things like uh, you know the black market and war profiteering, and uh, and it's it's kind of long. And if you if if you only like the cop procedurals that are you know lots of fist fights and lots of foot chases and, and car chases and 
it's probably not going to be a thing you're going to like. But if you like really good acting and, and, and really smart typewriting and, and the visuals are real good, then I recommend it. it it's, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a really good, it's a really good series and I'm almost at the end of it now. And each, each episode is like, I don't know, an hour and a half long. So you can't really binge watch it till the end. That's my, uh, that's my movie. Uh, my album is, uh, I'm falling back on just a classic here. You're talking about comfort stuff earlier. Uh, Willie Nelson, live, uh, live from Panther Hall. Yeah. I, I don't even remember what year that was. What, 67, 68, something like that. Uh, he covers Yesterday by the Beatles on there. Man. Wow. And he does the, uh, he does that medley of uh, Hello Walls and Mr. Record Man. And it's a, just a great live record. It's the songs on it are all great. The band is very good. And uh, you get, I always like it because for me, it's kind of a glimpse into, it's kind of a glimpse into how he was as a performer, how he presented his songs and all that stuff before the redneck rock and, you know, and then he became Jesus of that. And it, it was, it was, it's, it's a real good look at him before his Messiah status kind of. And, uh, you know, he was, he certainly was well known and he had certainly written some successful, you know, great songs at that time. But I mean, you know, a lot of people as a performer, as a performer, he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't what he was going to be six, eight years later. And, uh, I think it's like a really good little time capsule of, of just, you know, a particular, uh, a particular era in his career, man. It's a great little snapshot, and it's a it's a really good album. And um, in my book, and and y'all are gonna love this because uh, all I've actually done this week, I, I didn't have a lot of time to put into this because I'm coming up on the end of my semester, and I have two huge just back breaking term papers due. So the so here's the book because this is what I spent all week reading: Introduction to Social Problems. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and and here's what happened. I tried to think of another book. Really, I did. And when I would think, okay, right, I need a, I need to think of a book. Well, introduction to social problems <laughs> is a book. Yeah. And you've been and you've been reading it a lot. So them are my choices. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right, man. Let me see. Um, it's funny. I have to turn my volume up to hear you guys and down. When I talk, so I don't blow my head off. I uh, it's just, it's, yeah, I don't know. All this computer stuff, it just eludes me. My uh, choices. Uh, book is a book that I first read. I've read it about four times. I first read it back in high school. And it is by a guy named John G. Nyhart. And it's called Black Elk Speaks, the Book of Visions of an American Indian. Black Elk was a warrior and medicine man for the Oglala Sioux, witnessed so much history from the inside. Black Elk was there at the Battle of Little Bighorn and saw the massacre of the Native Americans at Wounded Knee. Black Elk speaks about his vision and the meaning of life on the planet and the death of his people. 
is one of the most inspiring books I ever read. Uh, it it um, touched my heart and like uh, not many things have before. And there's lots of things to be learned from Black Elk Speaks. Not only about the uh, the terrible way that Native Americans were treated by the white man and continue to be, <laughs> sadly, mm -hmm. but also about their spirituality. Uh, I've learned so much. I really agree with Black Elk. I agree with the Oglala Sioux, the Navajo, the Cherokee, uh, the whole element of spirit of God and everything in the way that they view him or it or her or whatever is similar to my own. So lots of that in that book. It's just a wonderful book. Black Elk Speaks. Highly recommended. Movie. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to tell you something I've been watching that I enjoy. But first I'm going to tell you a movie that should have been a great movie. That I was thoroughly disappointed in. Yes, I never say negative things about anything, but this, it was the 2013 movie called CBGB. Yeah, I was a big fan of CBGBs, Hilly Crystal, etc. Uh, you know, opening up the venue in New York, the CBGBs, the Country Bluegrass and Blues Club, uh, became the launching pad for the Ramones, the Police, Blondie, Lou Reed, Talking Heads. Uh, the movie stars Alan Rickman, who should have known better. <laughs> Alan Rickman from Harry Potter and all these other great movies playing Hilly Crystal. Uh, when you go and compare the movie to the actual facts, it's about 50% just made up, including the portrayal of Hilly, uh, according to all his friends. Pretty lame acting, people acting, uh, pretending to be Debbie Harry, Joy Ramone. Uh, I would say if you're into CBGB like me, instead go seek out the free documentary that's on YouTube. It's a lot better. Okay, enough about the, that. I got the, ticked the, off because I wasted free, my time. What's the name of the free documentary on YouTube? I'll watch that later. Yeah, yeah, CBGB. That's the name of it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's good. The hey, uh, can I can I interrupt real quick? Cause sure. While, while we're while we're still on movies, I I neglected to uh, add a little cherry on top for my movie recommendation. Yesterday I was uh, web surfing. I mean working. I was working, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I saw on Rotten Tomatoes they had uh, they had a list of two hundred films that you can stream for free right now. And you can read the whole list at editorial.rottentomatoes.com. Nice. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Editorial, yeah. Editorial.rottentomatoes.com. 200 well, free movies. Yeah. That's a good What's tip. that? 200 free movies. 200 free movies. Man, yeah. I may, I may do that as well after. Cause, yeah, yeah, I think. I'm, I think done, so I'm done with that sociology paper. Yeah, I like free. <laughs> free is my favorite price. Um Okay, so instead of, uh, you know, now that I've ragged on the CBGB, I would say that uh, one thing that I have loved, and, and I'm only halfway through the first season, is the show called Yellowstone, 
with Kevin Costner. Oh yeah, I've heard I've heard of that and even read a little bit about it. Well, it's kind of like the Sopranos the with cowboys instead right. of mobsters. So there's a lot of uh, gunplay, sex, drug. Well, I start to say drugs, but no drugs, just alcohol. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's pretty weird, you know. A lot of a lot of things that just are painful scenes, like they, the, any new rancher hand that gets hired. They brand him on his chest with an iron brand and just burn it in. And see yeah, not, after you've see seen that a couple of times. I don't like getting jobs. <laughs> what? See, see why I'm employment averse? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, anyway, that was uh, that. My, my movie is actually a TV series. Music wise, I am totally obsessed this week after one week, totally obsessed with Larkin Poe. Two sisters from Atlanta, Georgia, Megan and Rebecca Lovell. And uh, they've been around a while. I keep getting reminded by people, they've been around for a while. I'm like, well, not on my radar. Uh, I just didn't know. And I started seeing them on the Instagram uh, during the pandemic, posting, always posting great little acoustic videos of cover songs. Everything from freaking Garth Brooks to, I don't know, Elvis Costello, and um, who has played an important role, by the way, in their career. Elvis Costello is just a huge fan, and uh, and uh, now they've got all these people behind them. Elton John played them on his podcast and talked about how great they are. So Larkin Poe, the new album, is uh, going to get a five-star review in Kudzu Magazine. It's called Self-Made Man. And, uh, you know, one of the sisters sings and plays guitar, and the other plays slide uh, on a, it looks like a dobro, which hangs around her neck like a dobro, but she said it was a, uh, uh, it was a uh, Rickenbacker. Oh, my gosh, now I'm not getting it straight. But anyway, it was tuned funny. I forgot how it was. Oh, tuned like a, uh, tuned like a uh, dulcimer. I think she said, kind of, yeah, kind of crazy, but I don't know. But I'm gonna tell you what, man, it's great, good stuff. Anyway, good, all that being said, all that being said, yeah, all that being said, today's topic is gonna be greatest concerts ever. And before we all talk, I, I had invited people to write in, okay, and we had several, in? we had a good many responses, and I just picked about four or five of them that I wanted to share and and give them the big thrill of having their name called out <laughs> on the Kudzu Radio Hour. A lady named Rebecca Nash from the, she says, from the Chicago suburbs. Greatest concert she ever saw was Buddy Guy five years oh, yeah. ago at his <laughs> bar in Chicago. No yeah. surprise there. But that show uh, featured special guest Ron Wood and Keith Richards. Playing with Buddy Guy for over Damn. three hours, Damn. unannounced. You know, he, just, he just turned 84 years old the other day. Yeah, he man, he's the man, off. too. I've seen him, like, several times, yeah. and he just, I always said Buddy Guy is the king of dynamics. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is mm -hmm. so weird to watch him playing and singing, and he'll back away from that microphone almost to a whisper, and then just boom, blow, blow your head off. Yep, I love yep. dynamics. Him and Martin Opfler are my favorite artists as far as using dynamics. Okay, that's a whole other thing. 
I'm not going to preach on it right now, but I will be preaching on it on next Sunday's sermon. So make sure you come and bring money for the offering plate. Uh, the um, other one, Jesse Fink from Columbia, South Carolina, says the Almond Brothers Band Seven Turns Tour with Warren Haynes and Alan Woody, the first time they were out with the Almonds, and Johnny Neal was playing keys. Blues Traveler open, and she says uh, it was a smoking set. And I don't doubt that at all. Alan Jennings wrote us from Manchester, England. Right there, he's over in England. Not, not quite. He said, Kate Bush before the dawn at Hammersmith Old Polo in 2014. And I was so jealous that he got to see that because she's been my favorite since 1979. But yeah, I wrote I to did, Alan I did, and I, I said, I didn't know that. We've talked about that. Before. Yeah, I just love, love, love Kate. And, um, right. Yeah, she didn't play live for years and years and years, and then that yeah, that like thirty something years, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then did those nights at that thing, and they put out a live album, but they they professionally filmed it, but she has not put it out, you know, and all the fans are clamoring, and like, you know, I don't know, but anyway, well, it was Terry Sanford of Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> a great place. I love Brooklyn got friends there she saw so many great concerts at where cbgb one of the best that she saw was blondie the night that debbie harry she says came out in coca-cola pants coca-cola <laughs> pants and a cbgb t-shirt after a few songs she took off her pants and before it was <laughs> over with she was naked except for a t-shirt and, uh, you know, I don't know if Terry is a Damn. guy or a and girl, I, but whoever it is. Very rarely do I go, boy, I'm sorry, I missed that. And then, <laughs> then there was the music, uh, ripping it up on uh, X Offender, Ripper to Shreds. Oh, and a special guest was there to sing back up by the name of David Byrne <clears throat> from Talking Heads. These people are getting so lucky, it makes me so mad. Our friend, mine and Billy's old friend from years ago, Rebel. His hey, name Rebel. is Dwayne Fields. He lives hey, in North Rebel. Carolina. He didn't want to share just one concert memory. He wanted to share two. His first concert was with his girlfriend and three of his best friends. Went out in his 74 Camaro yeah. to, the, <laughs> to the Double Barrel Jam, which featured Nantucket Molly Hatchet. May the 6th, 1979 at Stonyton Stables in Granger, North Carolina. Wow. His other memory was uh, Merle Haggard at the Cumberland County Arena just after he got busted for drinking on stage. Uh, I can't say what the other part is that Rebel had some really good luck with a female from the audience that night let's just way leave go, it at that go, rebel. <laughs> yeah a little 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 friend little little rebel made a friend i guess uh, okay so i'm since i'm already talking and i love to talk and hear myself talk i'm gonna go ahead and do my five and it, they change you know when the wind blows these will change. I mean, it's, it's hard to narrow it down. All the concerts, and I've been so blessed 
to see so many great shows, but I'm going to kind of go from number five to number one. And number five takes me back to when I was uh, living in Long Branch, New Jersey. And um, I went to CBGB in May of 78, and I saw a band called the Ramones. It was Tommy, Tommy Ramones last show. He left the Ramones uh, after that to concentrate on studio work. But he had co-produced four albums for the band that would go on to and would go on to co-produce their 1984 album, Too Tough to Die. Of course, after he left, Dee Dee followed, and a year later, uh, 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 well, Marty. he didn't leave. He died from a drug overdose. And then Johnny Ramone died in 2004 of prostate cancer, and then later Joey. So the Ramones just were falling like dominoes, but they were, at that time when I saw them, uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was, uh, let's see, how old was I? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was something, 18, something like that. But anyway, uh, they what got me about them was that they came out and they just hit it real hard. And every, I've said this before, like every song was two minutes, there was no talk in between songs. It's like, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And it just went on and on and on like that. And uh, it was great. The Ramones in New York. Happy memories. The next one couldn't be even farther removed from the Ramones if you wrote about it. I mean, it could not be further. But it is Kiss in Greenville, 1976. The it was they were switching over between the destroyer tour and the rock and roll over tour so it's kind of like in the cusp uh i had never seen anything like it uh i pressed into the crowd in front of the stage and got like two rows from the front and uh it was mind-blowing because the stage set you know had the gigantic cats on each side of the drums with the glowing eyes and a big dragging on stage oh, man it was just incredible it was great and i had my dad's eight millimeter camera you know no sound <laughs> just an eight millimeter camera right and i'm sitting there shooting it on the front row gene simmons and i've got this video on youtube <laughs> it's up it's been up here for years and nobody cares but he uh gene simmons saw the camera and started hamming up sticking his tongue out and all that kind of crap so the footage I got is pretty good to be silent. And then somewhere along the line, I had decided it was a good idea to splice pieces of a uh, uh, Christopher Lee Dracula movie <laughs> in between pieces of the... Uh... So anyway, when I take the film to a company to have transferred to VHS, the guy said, well, I did that, but he said, uh, Mr. Smith, was that some sort of art film you put together or something? <laughs> yeah, yes. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, it's the ticket. So then I ended up taking the VHS and having it transferred to digital. And then I had a guy that saw it on YouTube that wrote me and said, I will buy the original 8mm from you. And I'm like, dude, I have no idea whatever happened to it. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know whatever happened to it, but... You know, it was kind of, he said if he got it, he was going to take out the Dracula parts. I said, oh, you're going to ruin it. Okay. But it's, uh, yeah, the little film is only like six minutes. But 
it's got like the scenes of him blowing the fire and uh just all kinds of crazy stuff but anyway that's that's me talking too much speaking of talking too much my uh number three is leonard skinner at greenville auditorium october 19th 1977 the last show before the plane crash the night that because of artemis Pyle, i got to meet the band i got to meet everybody i believe nazareth opened that show uh, and it was just uh it was a uh toys for tots marine corps thing and artemis being a former marine you know had all that hair and all but he was going around and he was snapping up saluting it was so cool saluting these marines and stuff like that and i got to meet ronnie and got to meet everybody and i've talked about it till i'm blue in the face but uh, the show that night there's something to be said about predestination i don't know but it's kind of like they put everything they had into it that night as if some part of them knew that it was the last time it's kind of like I read about Stevie Ray Vaughan the same way. His last show, they said that he just like completely burned down the house, uh, you know, and then went off and got killed. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it's cool though. This Skinner was just rocking. Number two, number two, number two. My late wife, love of my life, Jill and I, we used to, uh, our our favorite date band was Government Mule, and we saw them probably twenty times. But this one concert at Spartanburg at the Spring Fling, it was outdoors, and it was the original Mule with uh, Warren Haynes, Matt Apps, and Alan Woody. Alan Woody had become friend, a real good friend with us. But he, he was always obsessed with my wife, which gave, kind of made me nervous. <laughs> where's Jill? <laughs> you know, he, he didn't want to talk to me. He's like, where's Jill? So anyway, we were, we were at that show. And um, that night, it was just, uh, they, it was just magical. Because I felt like, you know, I felt like a teenager. I was standing there all wrapped around my wife and uh, listening to this great music. And it was just like love was in the air you know all that kind of crap <laughs> and then they brought out my buddy paul riddle from the original marshall tucker and mark ford from the black crows and they came out and played on can't you see with warren and him and brought the house down that night was the uh, first night that mule played neil young's uh cortez the killer mm. what a great song and they also they played uh <clears throat> traffic uh low spark of high heel boys and uh man it was just a magical evening okay i've got one more and aren't you glad i feel like david letterman and i'm now the last one and everybody applauds i had been wanting to see this guy for a hundred years so finally did just a few years ago bruce springsteen and the e street band right before clarence passed away they played in granville at the Bilo center and uh played for three and a half hours and uh i was lucky that my buddy that got us in um because i was gonna buy a ticket but i ended up getting to go for free and he had us in one of these uh 
private boxes that hang over the side of the stage that's air conditioned and they're coming around bringing you drinks and whatever you want just just bring it to you and give it to you so needless to say alcohol was consumed and uh not to mention a little snackage but bruce uh threw down and uh he brought out the members the remaining members of the old group the swinging medallions who were from south carolina and they all played double shot of my baby's love with springsteen it was just absolutely freaking lutely amazing that whole night was great and like i say i've had so many great concert memories i started to put alice cooper i started to put edgar and johnny winter i started to put deep purple i started to put all these different ones it my mind just is like narrowing it down to five is just too hard Mm-hmm. It's just too much work. And speaking of too much work, let's see what Jim Hemphill says his favorites are. Thanks, Bob. Well, you know, it it, it was tough for me as well because I just love live music. And, and it's one of the things I miss the most uh, when, when we find ourselves where we are these days. And, you know, I, you know, I the earliest show I remember is when I was about 10 years old, I saw the Jackson five. So Mike, well, no, I was probably nine. So Michael Jackson would have been 10 or 11. Uh, like it, sure. I saw, I saw Chicago a couple of times back when they were a rock band. One of my favorite guitar players of all time, Terry Kath. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, I saw Buff the same kiss tour that you saw between a destroyer and rock and roll over, you know, uh, just so many, but I'm going to start. Uh, I did these chronologically because I looked up the dates. So I did a little homework on this. Good, good. First one is April 10th, 1981 in a 500-seat club in Ames, Iowa called the Fillmore. And there was this, <laughs> there was this uh, band from overseas that I had heard, read about but had never heard. Tickets were six bucks, so I went to see them. The band was U2. Nice, and, man. Uh, Wow. It, it just completely blew my head around because by that time I'd been playing in bands for a while, right? And I was 19 years old and, and for, you know, it was clear that these weren't the best players in the world. No, but damn, they had craft when he came but to putting that together, man. They, they sounded like, like nothing I'd ever heard and the energy and the creativity and the songwriting just completely turned my head around. And I literally, it was a Friday night, and I literally went out the next bo- next day, went and saw my friend Mark at Co-op Tapes and Records in Marshalltown and bought Boy, their first record, which had just come out. And uh, have, have been a fan since then, but that was just an incredible experience. It really kind of got me off the beam. Within six months, I had a band that was playing the same club, and uh, it really was kind of a turn-your-head-around moment for me. So that was, that was that's my, my primary I saw them back when uh story first first tour uh youtube's first tour of the united states in a club in Ames, iowa the next one is the following year and i didn't have to look up the date because on this one because i've got it burned in my memory it was friday august 13th of 1982 uh friday the 13th at the aragon ballroom in chicago illinois packed to the gills hot sweaty the band was the clash and it was Unbelievable. Just freaking unbelievable. Uh, we can say that right. Freaking is okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, so so that class show was, man, it was it was just great. Just, uh, it was, uh, 
I had wanted to see that band for years and years and years and finally getting to see them and uh, making the trip to Chicago and just dripping with sweat the rest of the time. Um, <clears throat> I think the one that would be next on my list is going to be on Mr. Beach's list. So I'm going to leave that one to him. Um, <laughs> it was uh, November 5th, 1985 in Iowa City, Iowa. But that's a little preview. I think it's on his list. Uh, so you, you're, you're committed to, to using that show now that I'm going to skip over it. As a matter of fact, you are going to use gonna, it. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. I'll have so, to get back to you on that. You, my, know what the my, best, you know what the best PR person joke ever is, by the way? What's that? Somebody asked a PR person a question. PR person says, that's a good question. Let me get back to you on that. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that's lesson number one in being a PR person is learning that technique. Uh, so I'm going to skip over that that show and I'm going to go to September 24th, 1998. I have seen this band approximately 30 times, <laughs> so it was hard to pick one date. But this is Cheap Trick at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, California. They went around the country doing three night stands in which they'd play their first three albums, one each night. Oh, yeah, cool, man. And I saw them do that in San Francisco and in Austin, both, uh, because that's how, how sick I am. And this show was the first night, the first album show, uh, where they were playing a bunch of songs that they hadn't played in many, many, many years. Like right. Daddy should have stayed in high school and Manicello and and just all those great songs off that first Cheap Trick album. So, uh, you know, I've seen them, like I said, about 30 times in, in many of those shows. I have all the Cheap Trick shows I've seen, I've only seen one bad show out of 30. Uh, so it was hard to pick one, but that was the one that I'm going to go with. Cheap Trick, first album show, Great American Music Hall, San Francisco. Uh, the next one is in the category of things you thought you'd never see because there are shows that if you live long enough and your favorite artists get poor enough and have to tour do reunion tours that that you know that's an advantage to some of us i never thought i'd see mike nesmith do his monkey song i got to see that uh i never thought i'd see a band that credibly called itself the new york dolls i did three times it was awesome every time uh and and but this one is uh, a South by Southwest show from 2004 because I never thought I'd see Alex Chilton in the context of Big Star. Oh. And a March what, what year? What year was that? March 19th, 2004. Uh, it was that, that uh, was that was like the year he died. Right? No, I was at South by that year. It was uh, the year he died was a few years later. This was when he was touring as Big Star with the two guys from the Posies and right. uh, with and, our and, uh, Ken Springfellow and uh, Jody Stevens on drums. And they played the old Austin Music Hall, which there's now a huge skyscraper office building where the music hall used to stand, oh. which isn't that great a loss because the place sounded terrible. But <laughs> I saw some great shows there, got to see Lou Reed there. Uh, Foo Fighters early on, saw Dylan there, saw Paul Westerberg there, saw lots of shows there. But I really never thought I'd be able to stand 10 feet in front of Alex Chilton and watch him play big star songs. 
Wow. Uh, it was it was amazing. And I, a couple of people reviewed the show and said, oh, it looked like they were going through the motions. I didn't care. It was <laughs> Alex Chilton playing Big Star. Yeah, I don't care if he's going through the motions. You, know, you know what? The motions are pretty damn good. It was, yeah. it, was, it was just amazing. But my wife and I went, and she was just giddy. Every time they'd start a new song, she'd look at me and just have this big smile. I never knew I was such a big star fan until I started sat in front of them and started hearing these songs that I've had to hear you play for, you know, 20 years. It was, uh, it was just, it was amazing. I thought I'd never see it. And I did. And then my last show is uh, another show. I didn't think I would see November 10th, 2018 at the Moody theater ACL live in Austin, Roger McGuinn, Chris Hillman and Marty Stewart and his band playing sweetheart of the roadie. Nice. You sent me a text during that show saying that may have been the best show you ever saw it, it anywhere. Was, it was amazing. They played two sets. They oh, uh, the, the stage goes dark, and all of a sudden you hear you don't see it, but you hear McGuinn's twelve string playing the intro to My Back Pages. Wow, nice! And he walks on the stage, and the rest of the band comes on. And in the first set, they did non-sweetheart material but tried to do from about the same time frame. They didn't do any of the real early stuff, although they did do Mr. Tambourine Man, I think. That was, but, the, that was the earliest one. Yeah, and then they took a break and came out and did Sweetheart of the Rodeo, all the songs, not in the oh, same order. Yeah. But all the oh, yeah. And, wow. uh, you know, with Marty Stewart playing uh, Clarence White's Telecaster. Wow. Was, Ken, was, was Kenny Vaughn on the gig? Kenny Vaughn was on the uh -huh. gig. Oh, yeah. damn, all man. of the fabulous superlatives were there. It yeah. was amazing and then then uh they did uh a great encore that included uh three tom petty songs this was not long after tom petty oh, had wow. died they did king of the hill which was king a, of the hill yeah yeah that was, was that was all for back from rio man. The right, right. record back from rio and they also did uh a beautiful version of wildflowers just oh god I love oh, that yeah. wow and and they did uh Chris Hillman had recorded a version of Running Down a Dream in which he played mandolin. And it was, uh, how it was, was that? It was amazing. It was great. It was great. It oh, was, were, you there, were you there, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. We, we was, were sitting together. We had, we, had, oh, gosh, we had that kick, was great. We had kick-ass seats. We were in the sixth row. You could yeah. hear every single bleeding note. Jim, Jim sent me a text during that. He said, hey, mm -hmm. man, I'm at the, I'm, I'm at this, uh, at the uh, Hillman McGuinn uh concert this may be the best show i've ever been i would to. i would have given yeah, anything well, i would have given anything to see that because i, I well, tell you guys i i saw uh marty and the fabulous superlatives at the um americana conference one year in nashville and i gotta say that that concert almost made my top five just marty and his band because they're all so thing. freaking good it's it's easy to lose man what a rocker he is because yeah. he was you know so kind of wired into that that nashville country thing and and yeah. but no man i mean he just the stuff that he does with his band just it's phenomenally i mean brain numbingly good yeah and, it is and for guys in their 70s mcglynn and hillman their vocals were both oh pretty right. terrific and the harmonies when you had all of them up there just and the sound was perfect. It was an amazing show, an amazing night. So we saw. We saw. Uh, I just want to tack on. I, we saw Roger McGuinn. It was 1992, back when we were doing Edge magazine, and uh, he played by himself, uh, acoustic at the um, P 
Peace Center Amphitheater. It was outdoors. Now, our, our Grit's office at the time, downtown Greenville, we had a deck, a back deck, and it was up on the second floor. And we could go out there and sit, and we had a grill and everything. So <laughs> several of us could go out there and grill and have drinks, adult beverages, right. and look down and watch whoever's playing on the stage. You know, we never did have to buy a ticket. And that day it was Roger McGuinn. That day was Roger McGuinn, and he, by himself, and by himself, he just completely blew my mind. Well, me and Jim saw him do a solo thing at the Cactus Cafe. Yeah, yeah. in Austin, and he was terrific. Just terrific. Yeah, man, that's great. I, I, those, those are I, my five. I've, I've, I've got my five in. All right. Well, who's next? Go ahead, uh, Pat. Yeah, Patrick. All right. Uh, well, i got to say something about Alex Chilton before we move on, because Jim, uh, Jim kind of stuck the knife in my back and twisted it yet again. Because for a South by Southwest later than that, it was supposed to be a big, big star reunion. And I was set to cover that. And he died of a heart attack three Uh days before. So it turned into a wake. And, uh, geez, it was, it was not good weather that South by Southwest that night. It was cold and windy and raining. And I just spent all night inside the old Antones downtown waiting for what was left of Big Star, which was John and Ken. Ken's a friend of mine. I got to know a little bit when he was in town on a recording project. And Mike Mills, uh, everybody was there. And it was terribly, terribly, it was a celebration and it was sad. It was like a, it was a funeral in a bar. Uh, and I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget that night. But moving right along, my top five in descending order. And I'm starting to think that, Michael, you might want to mix up this panel a little bit because we have too much commonality. <laughs> but my, uh, yeah, so I hadn't had my turn yet. Yeah, yeah. He's uncommon. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah. Continue. <laughs> Well, as you know, I grew up in a tiny little speck of a town in central Iowa, eight miles from the geographic center of the state. <laughs> Which is my hometown, by the way. Grew up Catholic. <laughs> grew up Catholic. I, w- I was an altar boy. In 1978, my dad died. In 1979, uh, the Pope announced that he was coming to Des Moines, Iowa to do this huge, huge outdoor thing. And I was still a Catholic and I had been an altar boy, but Kiss announced they were coming to town the same day. So guess who I chose? Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. my first, that was my first show. That was my first You picked Gene concert. Simmons over the Pope? Uh-huh. Yes, and I chose, <laughs> I chose love that. wisely. I chose wisely. I told Simmons that years later and he said, oh yeah, we got t-shirts made up for that. Yeah. Kiss Pope. Kiss Pope Tour 79, because, of course, in his mind, Kiss would be the headliner. Of course, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It was the loudest thing. It was the loudest thing I ever heard. And uh, Stanley told me years later that they almost broke up in the middle of the tour. I didn't care. They opened with King of the Nighttime World and letting go rock and roll and all kinds of stuff exploded. And I have to say that, you know, that band, for good and ill, uh, got their hooks into me early and in a lasting way, because night before last, I had a dream that Gene Simmons was my editor. 
at the newspaper. Oh, no. <laughs> you've got to go in there and you've got to add my name on every other line. <laughs> and on the other lines, if you mention Ace Fraley or Peter Chris, you will be fired. Right on. Right on. So, <laughs> yeah, you always remember your first time, and that's mine. Uh, my fourth favorite of all time. I got to say, Michael, this is this is really fun homework. You know, you think this is hard, this is impossible, because like all of y'all, I've seen thousands of shows. It was my job for a number of years yeah, before you. I before I moved to Austin to not write about music full time. But uh, <laughs> the band, the band, I think that does the stadium thing best, which is ridiculous. You know, stadium things are are, are silly, and uh, I guess they're sort of necessary economically but the band that does it best of all is u2 and i saw them first do their stadium thing on 9 11 before that date meant anything 9 11 1992 on the uh on the uh Octum baby tour at cyclone stadium jack trice field in ames iowa and it was just spectacular and you guys remember the paris shooting and bombing and all that and they were supposed to be doing an hbo oh yeah 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 yeah. they of course didn't do that broadcast then but they rescheduled it and uh they they did it later on and we watched it and that was that was also an amazing stadium gig so my my heart will always be with small venues and clubs but if you want a little bit of a show, they'll give you a show. No kidding. Uh, my third favorite is the Rolling Stones on Ooh. June 6th, 19, uh, the 2015. One day after my elder son graduated from high school, I took my uh, younger son, the Shredder, who inherited my musical taste whole, up to Jerry Jones land in Arlington, Texas. And that was really, really special because it was his first time seeing the Stones. It was his first stadium show. And they did a fan survey about, you know, here's four songs we might play. Vote. And, uh, and we'll pick the one that's most popular. Of course, we voted for Rocks Off, which I'd never heard them play. Yeah. And they did it. And I splurged for, like, really, really primo seats on the floor. And uh, I was thrilled. They never sounded better. They had never sounded better. And I've seen them probably seven or eight times. So that was that was really great and a special memory. My second favorite show of all time <clears throat> is also related to South by because in 2012, Bruce Springsteen was tapped to be the keynote speaker at South by Southwest, which meant he was going to be playing at South by Southwest. As some of you may know, young Mr. Springsteen is quite popular. So what the South by South South by people decided to do was you had to have a platinum badge. You had to have a badge to all the festivals. You had to enter a lottery and then try to win a ticket to see Springsteen wherever he was, which was a secure, undisclosed location. So on uh, the morning of March 15th, 2012, my wife Cindy and I went downtown to the Moody Theater in Austin to see these friends of ours from Steve Earle's band play on the mezzanine, uh, breakfast tacos and Bloody Marys at the Moody Theater where they <laughs> taped ACL. And they had they had signs up on all the doors into the theaters that said, 
uh, closed for rehearsal all day. And I asked this security guy, who's rehearsing in there all day? And, and the dude said, yeah, it's Springsteen. I was like, ah, crap. And I wasn't covering it that year. <laughs> we were just down there for fun. I was not covering it that year, so I didn't have a badge. I had no hope to get in. And I spent the rest of the day looking for you know, something solid in a ceiling and a piece of rope to hang myself because Springsteen <laughs> was playing in my town and I wasn't going to go. And that night, we happened to be walking by the Moody Theater again. This is 12 hours later. We happened to be walking by and I saw a line of just like five or six people outside the Moody and I went up to this guy and I said, dude, what's going on? He said, a bunch of people who won the lottery didn't show up. So they're letting us random commoners in. And I was like, cool, let's get in line, Cindy. Come on. <laughs> She's like, okay. <laughs> and then and then the guy, the guy ahead of me that I had been talking to said, oh, but my buddy is inside. And they started playing already, and it's South by Southwest, so they're already they're only going to play for forty five minutes. And he left. Not a minute later, they opened the rope line, rope line, and said, "Enjoy the show." And we got to see Bruce Springsteen play in a twenty four hundred seat theater. Oh wow! The be the best sounding room I've ever been in, for free, with geez, who was there? Uh, Jimmy Cliff, Joe Ely, <laughs> nice. Al yeah. Alejandro, Alejandro Escovedo, yeah. Morello is in the band. Really they good the lineup. Yeah. <laughs> they did the Ghost of Tom Joad. So it was a complete surprise. It was free. And that poor guy, I wish I could find him somehow and tell him he really messed up. <laughs> and, bu and, yeah. and, buy, and buy him lunch, man. Did, yeah. they, uh, did Bruce lim limit it to 45 minutes? I mean, really? No, they played for, they played for three and a half hours. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I started to say, he just can't do 45 minutes. Are you, no, you're going to bring, you're going to bring like a 10 or 12 piece band to town to play for 45 minutes? No uh, way. No. no way. No way. And Bruce has had got he hadn't got forty five minutes in him. He's got to go at least three hours just to get a sweat worked up, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's well, that's right when he warms up, right? Yeah, I, I think we, I think we've talked about his book before. Uh, in Order his little corner, yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, the reason he plays such long shows is not for us; it's for him, just to like wear his mind out, you know. You know, it's, uh, but, speaking uh, of that, Born to Run, it's a great book, but it's very. It, I was very confused for a while because, you know, I had read another book, Born to Run, several years ago, uh, Dave Marsh did, mm -hmm. which was a great book. Yeah. So then when Bruce put out his Born to Run, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's the same thing? No, it wasn't. Uh, hearing the stories straight from the horse's mouth was really cool. I've read it twice, and yeah, I guess I'm a fanboy, man. I'm just a fan of that little old new jersey feller i never I seen too. anybody that worked harder for the money in my life no no i'm with you i'm with you i don't know why it took so long for him to get his hooks in me but man they're they're stuck in for life yeah that's true that's true which uh, brings me to my number one yeah number one number one number one mr mr hempill yeah guess correctly this is the, um, this is the one i deferred to you on because I figured you'd want to take it. <laughs> November November 5th, 1985. 
five, the replacements at Amelia's in Iowa City. Whoa. A little club. Sure. Uh, it was right around. It was right around the town that the time that uh, Tim came out, and they were just absolutely spectacular. They drank just enough to not care, but not too much that they couldn't play. They opened with uh, Bastards of Young, right? I think that's right. I've got my bootleg yeah. here, so there's a really good bootleg <laughs> yeah. of that show. So, uh, oh wait, wait, yeah, yeah, I took a note. Of, yeah, they opened with Bastards of Young, and then Answering Machine, and then Left of the Dial, and you could hear the jaws hitting the floor. They were so great because we had seen them uh, on the a year before tour, and yeah. it was, I like to tell people the first 15 minutes was the best 15 minutes of live music I've ever heard, and the and the last 30 minutes were the worst 30 minutes of live music I've heard. They just stopped caring after about four or five songs. But <laughs> that's that the show... thing about that band. You know, there's a there's a great documentary about there's a great documentary about them. And uh, Greg Norton from Husker Du, the bass player, they didn't play a lot together, but they played a lot of the same clubs and they seemed to like follow Husker Du seemed to follow the replacements to these clubs. And they'd always say, How are the replacements last night? And it was either it was the best show I ever saw or it was the worst show I ever saw. <laughs> And yeah. they, they, they could do that. It could be the best song, best show you ever saw or the worst show you ever saw. It could be the best song you ever heard or the worst song you ever heard. It could be the best and worst song you ever heard within the same song. With Right, in the same set. It's the best uh -huh. and worst show I ever saw in the yeah. same set. But yeah, there's a, there's a voluminous live archive called the Replacements Live Archive Project. I've got hundreds of shows downloaded on my computer. And uh, that one doesn't sound that good, but man, they were on fire that night. And I would give anything to have a recording of that first time we saw them, Jim, at the maintenance shop. But I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that their performance of favorite thing at that show was the best live song I have ever heard in my life. Uh -huh, I was yeah. nailed to the wall. It was so good. But then they just turned to shit. I mean, turned to crap. But uh, <laughs> but. Uh, that Iowa City show was great, and it was on the same tour within a few weeks of when they did that show at Maxwell's in in uh, Hoboken. That's out an official yeah. release out. Yeah, yeah. It's out, yeah. And it was very similar show to that. Yeah. Well, I have a question yeah, for you guys about the replacements. I I don't know much about them. Uh, somehow or another, I missed the boat on that, um, and I'm sad to say, but it seems like somewhere way back, and I might be misremembering, but. Was it the replacements that covered Kiss uh, and did Black, Black Diamond. Diamond? Black Diamond, yeah. They did the, that? Yeah, it's yeah. on their Let It Be album. Right. Okay, I, I do have the Let It Be album, and uh, I loved it. But yeah. that's all I knew about them. I, in fact, I didn't know. Somehow or another, I didn't, didn't get a lot of press on them in Cream or in the magazines I read. I didn't... Uh, I didn't get to read much about them. So now at the tender young age of whatever I am, I'm uh, interested in digging back in because uh, All right, I'll, I'll tell you something else you might not know about them then. They were doing the sessions that led up to that record and they were talking about what they were going to call that record and they were on the road driving through a gig listening to the radio and Westerberg said, all right, whatever the next song that comes on the radio is, <laughs> that's what we're going to call the record. And the next song was Let It Be. 
can you imagine what it could have been anything it could have been <laughs> could have been anything hey let's call the album layla that would be great there's not one like not, okay oh let's go where my rosemary goes that, uh, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, man. Some of the pop thing. The night they actually, Chicago they actually, died. They actually covered that a few times. Yeah, uh, the yeah, night that, the lights went out in Georgia. That would be great. <laughs> uh, little Vicky Lawrence action. I would I would have bought a ticket to hear them do uh, "Love Gr- <laughs> Love Girls Where My Rose." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. They might uh, have done it at that Iowa City show. I'm not. I don't remember for sure. Patrick, well, was that it. your last thing, Patrick, or not? Yep, yep. That, that, okay. Uh, they did we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta get the ball rolling here. Come, we, we gotta we move on here. Way past time. Billy, tap dancing, Eli. Yeah. Okay, man. So my five. No particular order. I did not do any homework. These are just shows I remember. Imagine that. I, I remember <laughs> these are shows I remember. You know, and it was funny. A lot of times at the time. I didn't think that they were all that great. And then the next day I was like, wow, you know, that was something. I saw uh, Jason and the Scorchers at the Steamboat on 6th Street. The old Steamboat when it still had the upstairs balcony in the back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it was kind of funny at the time. The sound in that place was not stellar. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember mostly what I remember like the first 15 minutes was, God damn, it's loud. <laughs> you know, and, doggone it is. But they, uh, but they, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they, they were the scorchers, man. They just held it up, and it was they did the thing that that you, that ticket was like, yeah, six or seven bucks, and and uh, then it was the next day when when I was thinking, wow, man, yeah, that really was that was a good show. It's I, I'm remembering it better than it probably was but but uh but that but that was one i saw uh i saw gary stewart you know the great honky-tonk singer yeah i saw him at uh i saw him at a joint in lufkin texas called the electric cowboy and it was him and i think he had a little four-piece combo with him it's mostly him singing and playing the piano and uh you know he had a great reputation as frequently being too drunk to perform he finished he finished the whole the whole concert you know a couple couple three sets two and a half hours something like that and he was sober and then when the show ended and his crew had racked up and got everybody in the bus and he wouldn't leave the club because he, he was partying <laughs> <laughs> he was partying with the people in the club and then he was real uh, and, and so that, yeah, that was a good and, and memorable, you know, show. And I saw, uh, this was right after I moved to Austin in 84 and I saw, uh, I, I didn't stay for the whole thing cause it was just too damn crowded, but, uh, I was there for uh, half an hour, 45 minutes. I saw Doug song at the hole in the wall on Guadalupe. Wow. Yeah. And, and that was before they had that back room. Yeah, so it yeah. was in that fifty in that fifty seat, right and, up against the the front window there, right yeah. up against yeah. the window, and uh, yeah, and years later, me and Jim played that same stage, and I told you, man, I always wanted to play here because where I'm standing right now is where Doug Song was sitting the very first time. He was playing pedal steel, mm. and, and uh, 
And that was, uh, what was that? That was three. And the fourth one, these next two, I'm probably going to get a little bit of flack for. But uh, context is kind of everything. So I saw, uh, must have been 82 or 83, I saw George Strait before he was famous. Right after his first record, he wasn't doing all them boring chuff, click, clack. I mean, they were like a real they were like a real traditional country band at a time when there was not a lot of that being done. And I saw him at the, uh, at the city limits club in, uh, in Huntsville, Texas. And, uh, I believe, I think the ticket was like, yeah, six bucks, seven bucks. And you couldn't have put another body in that club. I, his first record had just come out. The band was really good. He didn't, they, they played it like dance sets though, man. He played like four 45 minute sets with like 15 minute breaks in between. Hmm. And, uh, uh, but you know, you got to remember it at, at that time, uh, coming out of that urban cowboy thing. And there was not a lot of, there, there wasn't a lot of just kind of traditional country bands that, uh, that, that new traditionalism hadn't taken over and didn't for another few years with Clint Black and guys like that. I mean, George Strait kind of led that charge and, and, uh, yeah. And I, and I saw him there and then, and I am really prepared to catch Black on this one. This was on a ring show at the Astrodome and it's not, it's not the kind of music that I'd normally care for. It's not a band whose records I ever bought. Uh, it isn't anybody I listened to on the radio, but I saw the Osmonds, <laughs> and I and I had and I have to tell you what I took away from that, man. You know, it's a different it's a different style of thing than the four of us like, but in that kind of Vegas musician, it's a it's a show, it's entertainment, it you know, it's not about the songwriting, it, it it's about an overall. Man, that was a good show. And everybody in the family played every damn instrument on the stage. And occasionally they would just rotate. One yeah. of them would be drumming and then he'd get up and go play bass. And, that, and they'd just kind of rotate around. And by the end of the show, everybody on the stage had played every instrument and everybody had sang. And, you know, I mean, yeah, parts of it were cheesy. They dressed like the Brady Bunch and those like parachute suits, <laughs> you know. But, and it had a lot of choreography. But uh, I got to break in. I got to break in to say Billy Eli puts raisins in his potato salad. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I mean, yeah, it's not. It's again, context is everything. You know, they they weren't a band that I ever listened to. Uh, A friend of mine had an extra ticket and said, hey, I'm going. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, come on, it'll, it'll be great. I, I would like, have been there in a heartbeat. Yeah, and that, and that was, and, and I went, and I was, and here was the thing. I was not expecting to like it. I was expecting it to just be like, oh, yeah. oh, God, this is, everything about this is just repellent. But, yeah. man, it was, it was good if you kept in context that you weren't hearing great songwriters and you weren't hearing dedicated, you know, virtu, virtuosos to a particular instrument. And if, if you thought about it in, in the, you know, in the context of if I went to Las Vegas, I would see something like this and it'd be great. You know, it, it, it'd be like seeing Mel Torme. I'm not going <laughs> to buy any of his records either, but I knew people that saw him play live and were like, yeah, man, it's actually pretty good. And he's got a jazz orchestra behind him, and, you know, and 
and it's really different than all the other stuff I that I had seen, you know, which was mostly club shows, rock bands, and, and uh, and country stuff, you know, because and especially the Texas guys, man, Rusty Weir and, and uh, Billy Joe Shaver, and I, I saw, I've seen all those guys at club club concerts and great great stuff but i mean it's kind of more of the same and, and i threw that last one in there just because yeah it was really different than any of this well i want to i want to interject i want to say that um in my opinion um i just got through writing an article called um i like what i like right. simply because uh, of music snobs i've run across so many music <laughs> snobs I will, never, in my li- I will never sell you this record yeah, You're not a big enough fan for me. To sell <laughs> well, that and also there are music snobs who will who will say things to me like, "I can't believe that you said something nice about Taylor Swift," or "You you like you really like Garth Brooks?" Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Really? Or, or when it goes the other way, it's like all the way back to high school when people would go. Um, you like that David Bowie? And then it wouldn't even get his name right. You like that David Bowie? You know he's a queer, don't you? And I'm like, are you guys? I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, first of all, I don't care if he is. He's not. He's married. Maybe, you know, bi or whatever. I don't care. What's that got to do with the music? But no, that's the mindset. And it pisses me off. That and then music snobs who are like, well, I'm so far above seeing the Osmond Brothers or the Jackson 5. And I'm like, well, there was a time in the 70s when I rode around listening to them on eight-track tapes. I listened to Crazy Horses by the Osmond, which was the most insane. They did that that at that concert. That was the most insane insane song it was almost like pink floyd or something crazy horses all that crazy crap on there and i'm like yeah they were very talented all the way back to when they were on the freaking andy williams show as little tiny boys and i remember all that and jackson five they were like the you know the equals of the osmonds and the jacksons and i was like you know I loved all that stuff. I liked Michael Jackson back when he was a little black boy before he became an older white woman. I liked him so much. Uh, I mean, you know, I really did. And I liked him when he was popular, when he was a white woman, when he did Thriller and all that kind of stuff. It's brilliant. Let's give us another letter. No, no, that's fine. They they can't say anything bad about an opinion. I'm not (laughs) cursing. I'm just saying the truth. The truth, as I see it, which is that there's good to be found in most <laughs> most music, most music. Well, that's why I, I mean, started, I just watched that freaking. That's why I started freaking, my list by saying context is everything. I just you know, watched I, that Hamilton thing that everybody's talking about how oh, great yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. the Broadway thing, and I was like, well, it was interesting, but I'm not a fan of hip hop and rap, and the thing is all. You know, it's all hip hop music and uh, everything. And uh, not and not he, entirely, not entirely, not entirely. There's a couple of songs on there that I really like. The that the girl I forgot what it was that girl was singing. Uh, it was a good song, but you know, I'm not saying that it's you know bad to the general public. I'm saying my personal opinion. 
like Billy with Billy's words of I'm not going to go out and buy the record, but I respect it. I respect the well, art. And it, and it wasn't bad. And I and and again, it was it was something different than and, I, that, yep, and, that, and, and that was like Jim Jim one of your concerts was uh, uh, Jackson Five, right? Well, yeah, I saw them. Yeah, I saw them back yeah, and, in. The, and, 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 and I also saw Andy Williams with the Osmonds. Nice, right? And 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 let me just say, you know, every everybody on this panel is a is a musician, and we're all songwriters, and and you know, and we have a kind of a thing that we do. And the Jackson Five and the, and the Osmonds are certainly not that thing, and we're not entertainment bands. Like, I mean, we, you know, we're not Vegas style variety band or. But I mean, but there's know, nothing it, wrong with that either. No, there's there's not. And for variety bands, the two that got mentioned in these lists, the Osmonds and the Jackson Five, were very damn good at that, man. I mean, with the core the choreography and and the Jacksons, they all switched instruments too, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. I'm gonna stick this <laughs> in yeah, there. Every, and everybody gonna... on the stage played every instrument. I want to <laughs> interject this, and then I'm I'm gonna shut up because it's way. Yeah, I say we're way, way past time, but it doesn't matter. There's no time limit. I want to say that um, two of the concerts that I saw that I should have put on my list. <laughs> I can't, when you can't say five, but anyway, I think I mentioned before seeing Todd Rundgren when he played by himself with the gigantic reel-to-reel on stage. You, he had, you were talking about that. He had all the tracks, and Todd... Is up there with the. He had dyed his hair different colors, had peacocks painted over his eyes. Was he wearing that stuffed parrot on his shoulders? Had the stuffed parrot on his shoulders. <laughs> he turned on the reel to reel and the beautiful background music that he played all the instruments and that yeah. his voice is to die for. And, uh, you know, did all those songs from A Wizard of True Star and The Todd right. and all that. Okay, that. And the <clears> other <throat> one that I should have mentioned was. The one of my all-time heroes was David Bowie, and I got to see the Diamond Dogs in Charlotte, and it was just like uh, I kind of I, I imagine I stood there with my mouth gaped open for the entire two hours. I just cannot believe I was even hearing or seeing what I was seeing. <laughs> but it was such a stage show. I mean, you know, you talk about Vegas and all, even like Bowie. I mean, the show was just fantastic it was not just a it's like when i interviewed gene oh, no, simmons it's not, and, a, it's not a concert it's a it's a show man. yeah when i, mean, I when i talked to gene simmons uh the first time and uh he was talking about putting on a show and when they first put kiss together <coughs> him and paul were in that loft in new york and it was like what would we pay money what would we want to see and uh he was talking about putting you know, putting on a show and all. And he's like, I don't want to go to a concert and pay eight bucks and see a bunch of guys. At the time I interviewed him, grunge was real popular in Seattle and all. He said, I don't want to see a bunch of guys in plaid shirts and jeans standing around playing their guitars and singing like they're not really even happy to be on stage. You know, right. I don't want to do that. He said, I want to get hit between the eyes either musically or visually or both. One of the best songwriters ever, man, is Jay Farrar. Jim, what's the Sunvolt concert like? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Wow. You, you can actually sl you can sleep through them, right? 
I I I played uh, I played my wife the last Sunvolt record, and she said, "What's the name of this record?" My dog died. <laughs> well, he's got that voice that that is that some people find uh, challenging to to pay attention to because it is kind of dreary and live. Is there one of the few band? You know, one of the great things I like about live shows is bands usually put a little more energy and pick up the tempo just a little bit longer. Right, right. They speed well, up you can, a little you bit. Can you can see, uh, see him and then and then see uh, um, uh, 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 dang, I had it on the tip of my tongue. Some uh, Volt plays everything slower. Leonard so Cohen. A, Leonard Cohen. He, yeah, Leonard Cohen. He, and yeah. Jim, you said he didn't, he never he never acknowledged the audience or looked at him and he mostly looked at his shoes. <laughs> yeah. He stands and he plays <laughs> lo- looking down. Uh, <laughs> No, this is a Leonard they, Cohen. It was like I, I felt like I was going to fall asleep after about the third song, and and I think I did fall asleep after the fourth song. <laughs> but I mean, he's a great writer, right. a great writer. Exactly. But that yeah. that monotone voice that I, 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 I'm like, oh gosh, man. Um, anyway, we're uh, we're going to wrap up, but yeah, um, we're out of time. Y'all don't go anywhere because after we uh, cut off the recording, yeah, I got a question. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna discuss what we're gonna talk about. Yeah, exactly. Don't <laughs> shh. That was a secret, man. We're gonna say that. Ah, damn, I gave up the trade secrets. The trade secrets. Okay. Yeah. All, right, all right, everybody out there listening, forget y'all heard that. Yeah, you forget you heard it. And uh, if you heard any cursing, it wasn't us. It no. was somebody hacking in. Who are you going to believe? No, no, Beach is outside. That was his neighbor from next door. That was his neighbor. (laughs) I heard the birds. I didn't hear the neighbors that much, but the. um, Who are you going to believe, you or your own lying ears? Yeah, exactly. Your own lying ears. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna say bye, y'all. But what I want to do is tell you that the song coming up, the song coming up that I talked about, my new favorite group, Larkin Poe. And we're going to play a rocker off their new album. It's called Holy Ghost Fire. These girls have got it going on. And we'll say goodbye to the um, to our panel of esteemed or just plain steamed. It depends on steamed. what part of the country you're in. <laughs> uh, 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 writers, authors, musicians, and tap dancers. And Bye, we'll y'all. see y'all next week. Same bat time, same bat, same bat channel. And, uh, all right, later.
That's going to do it for another episode of the Kudzu Radio Hour. That, of course, uh, the song you just heard was Larkin Poe from their album Self-Made Man and a song called Holy Ghost Fire. Man, that's good stuff. Good stuff. I want to thank uh, my co-host Billy Eli and also uh, Patrick Beach and, of course, Jim Hemphill. And always fun, always fun with those guys. A lot of fun. And uh, the show was brought to you, of course, by Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh organic chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information at SpringerMountain.com. Not only is Springer Mountain chicken healthier for you, but it's also very, very tasty be sure to check out issue number 38 of kudzu magazine that's out right now just go to www.kudzumag.com you spell that k-u-d-z-o-o-m-a-g kudzumag.com and we hope you will join us next week when we're going to be talking about the best cover songs ever done cover songs of uh pretty much any genre of uh, music. So uh, check us out. We'll be back next time, next week. You can you can uh, find us on demand anytime after, you know, after 3 o'clock in the afternoon on next Saturday. By then, it's usually posted, and um, we hope you'll uh, listen in. And we'll also have our uh, book, movie, and record recommendations, as always. We'll see you guys down the road. Take care. Keep it Southern.